Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Frontside Podcast, episode 91. My name is Charles Lowell. I'm a developer here at the Frontside and your podcast host in training. Joining me today on the podcast is Elric Ryan. Hello, Elric. Hey, what's up? Not much. How are you doing? I'm great. Very excited to have these two folks on the uh, podcast today. I feel like I know them very well (laughs) from Twitter. I feel like I know them well from Twitter too, but I also feel like I mean this is uh, this is a, a fantastic company that is doing a lot of great stuff. Yep. Also, not in Twitter. It should be pointed out. We have with us Tracy Lee and Ben Lish from This Dot Company. Hi. So first of all, why don't uh, why don't we start by you know for those who don't know what exactly is This Dot? What is it that y'all do, and then what are you uh, hoping to accomplish? This thought was created about a year ago, and um, it was founded by myself and Taras, who work on it full time. And then we have amazing people like Ben, who's also one of our co-founders, and really amazing mentors. A lot of our friends, when they refer to what we actually do, they like to call it celebrity consulting, (laughs) which I think is hilarious. But it's basically core contributors of different frameworks and libraries. Um, who work with us and lend their time to mentor and consult with different companies. So I think the beautiful part about uh, what we're trying to do is bring together the web. And we sort of do that as well, not only through consulting and try to help people succeed, but also through this dot media where it's basically a big playground of JavaScripting all the things. Ben and I do modern web podcasts together. We do RX workshop, which is RxJS training together. And Ben also has a full-time job at Google. What they got you doing over there at Google? Uh, well, I work on a project called Alkali, which is an internal platform as a service built on top of Angular. That's my day job. So you've been actually involved in all the major front-end frameworks, right, at some point? like uh, Yeah, yeah. I, I got my start with uh, Angular 1 or AngularJS now um, uh, when I w- was working as a web developer in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at a company called Ascent which is formerly McKesson Automation. And then I was noticed by Netflix, who was starting to do some Angular 1 work, and they hired me to come help them. And then they decided to do Ember, uh, which is fine. And I, I worked on a large Ember app there. Uh, then I worked on a couple of large React apps at Netflix. And now I'm at Google building Angular apps, which is All Angular right. 5 now, I believe. So you've, uh, you've come the full circle. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I have to imagine uh, Angular's changed a lot uh, since you were working on it the first time. Yeah, it was completely rewritten. I feel like Angular is the new Ember. Angular is the new Ember? <laughs> you think? Angular is the new Ember and Vue is the new Angular JS, is basically. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, what's the new React then? Preact would be the new React. React? Okay, or is Glimmer, is Glimmer just... the new React? Sure. <laughs> it's really important to keep these things in uh, straight in your head. Yeah, uh, yeah. It saves on confusion. Which came first? <laughs> Too late. I'm already confused. So now, before the show, you were saying that you had just, literally just released RxJS. Was it 5.5.4? That's right. That's right. And, uh, it was a patch release, yeah. Okay. Am I also correct in understanding that RxJS has kind of come to very front and center position in, in Angular? Like they've built a large portions of the framework around it? Yeah, that's uh, it's the only dependency for Angular. It uh, is being used in a lot of uh, official space for Angular. For example, a- Angular Materials data table uh, uses observables, which are coming from RxJS. 
you know, they've got reactive forms. Uh, the router makes use of observables. So it's the integration started kind of small uh, with like HTTP client being written around observable. And, and it's kind of grown from there as, as people seem to be grabbing on and, and enjoying more the reactive programming side of things. So it's, it's definitely the one framework that's really embraced reactive programming uh, outside of, say, like CycleJS or something like that. Mm-hmm. So just to give a, a general background, so what, what exactly, how would you characterize RxJS. It's a library built around Observable, and Observable is a push-based primitive uh, that gives you sets of events, really. Mm-hmm. So that's the like low dash for events would be a good way to to put it. You can take anything that you can get pushed at you, which is pretty much any value type you can imagine, and wrap it in an Observable and have it pushed out of the Observable, and and from there you have a set of things that you can combine and. You can concatenate them, you can filter them, you can uh, transform them, uh, you can combine them with other sets and so on. So you've got this ability to kind of query and and manipulate in a declarative way uh, Mm -hmm. events. Now, observable is also, so, you know, when Jay was on the podcast, we were talking about Redux observable, but there it was kind of outside the context of RxJS. It was just kind of observables were this standalone entity but I understand that they actually came from the RxJS project. Like that, that was kind of the progenitor of observ- observables, even though there's talk of maybe making them, you know, part of the JavaScript spec. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So uh, RxJS, as it stands, is a reference implementation for what could land in JavaScript or what could even land in the DOM as far as an observable type. Uh, observable itself is very primitive, but RxJS has a lot of operators and optimizations and things written around observable. That's the entire purpose of the library. Mm-hmm. And so, so what kind of value adds does it uh, provide on top of observable? Like, you know, observable, if observable was the primitive, what are the, the combinators, so to speak? Oh, right. So, I mean, similar to what Lodash would add on top of, say, an iterable or, or arrays, you, you would have those same sorts of things and more inside of RxJS. So you've got, you know, zip, which you would maybe have seen in Lodash or, you know, different means of combines and, of course, map and merge map, which is like a flattening sort of operation. You can concatenate them together. Uh, but you also have these time-based things like you can do debouncing or throttling of events as they're coming over an observable and you create a new observable of that so that the the value add is the ability to kind of compose these like primitive actions you can take on an observable and make a new observable that we call operators Mm -hmm. Uh, and you can use those operators to build pretty much anything you could imagine as as far as you know an app would go so do you find that uh, most of the time, like all of the operators are contained right there inside RxJS or is there, you know, is part, if you're going to be doing reactive programming, you're like part of one of your tasks is going to be defining your own operators? Uh, no, pretty much everything you need will be defined within RxJS. Um, there's 60 operators or so. Uh, oh, that's it's, a lot. It's unlikely that someone's going to come up with one. And, and in fact, I would say the majority of those, probably 75% of those, you could create from the other 25%. Mm-hmm. So some of the more, much more primitive uh, operators could be used. Which to is cr- sort of what Ben did in this last release, RxJS, what, 5. Dot, I don't remember when you introduced the lettable operators, but you yeah, fi- implemented five, five. all the operators in terms of operators. Yeah, yeah. So a good, a good portion of them I started implementing in terms of other 
operators. Right. So what's so, like what what was that? I didn't quite catch that, Tracy. You said that uh, what was the operator that was introduced? So in the in one of the latest releases of RxJS, one of the more significant releases where pipeable operators were introduced. What Ben did was he went ahead and implemented a lot of operators that were currently in the library in terms of other operators, which was able to uh, give way to reduce the size of the library from, I think it was, what, 30 KB bundled, gzipped, and minified to um, about 30 KB, which was about 60 to 70% of the operators, right, Ben? Uh, yeah, so the, the size reduction was, was in part that there's a lot of factors that went into the size reduction. It's, it's would be kind of hard to pin it down to a specific operator, but I know that some of the operators, like the individual operators themselves, by re-implementing, say, uh, reduce, which is the same as doing a scan and then take last, implementing it in terms of that is going to re- like reduce the size of it probably 90% of that one particular file. So there's there's a variety of, of things like that that have already kind of started and that we're going to continue to do. We didn't do it with every operator that we could have. Some operators are very, very common, and consequently, we want them to be as optimized as possible. For example, mm-hmm. map. You can implement map in terms of merge map, but it would be very slow to do so. Uh, it might be smaller, but it would be slower. We don't we don't want that. So we, we, there's there's certain there's certain areas that we're always going to try to keep fairly uh, hot path to like optimize them as much as possible. But the, in other spots like reduce, which is less common and isn't rest, usually considered to be like a performance bottleneck, we can kind of cut some corners uh, or two array or other things like that. Mm-hmm. I think another really interesting thing is um, you know a lot of people when learning RxJS they. It's, it's funny because we just gave an RX workshop course this past weekend. And, you know, the people that were there just were like, oh, we've heard of RxJS. We think it's a cool new thing. We have no plans to implement it in real life, but let's just play around with it and uh, let me learn it. I think as people are starting to learn RxJS, one of the things that gets them really overwhelmed is this whole idea that they're having to learn, you know, a completely new language on top of JavaScript or what operators to use. And one of our friends, Brian Tronconi, who is on the learning team, the RxJS learning team, he pulled up the top 15 operators that were most commonly searched on his site. And, you know, some of them were switch map, merge map, fork join, merge, etc. So, you, you can sort of tell that, you know, even though the library has quite a few, it was funny because, uh, Ben, I think the last RX workshop, you were using pairs and you had never used it before. So it's yeah. always amusing to me how many people can be, you know, on the core team, but have like never implemented <laughs> RX in a certain way. Right, 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 right. You had said one of the recent releases was about making it more friendly for functional programming. Uh, is that like a subject that we that we can explore? Because you know, using observables all is already pretty like pretty FP like. What it was before is we had dot chaining, right? So you would do dot map and then call a method, and then you you get an observable back, and then you'd say dot merge, and then you'd call a method on that, and so on and so forth. Now what you have is kind of a Ramda JS style pipe. Uh, function that just takes mm-hmm. a, a comma separated list of other functions that, that are going to act upon the observable. So it reads pretty much the same with a little more ceremony around it, I guess. But the uh-huh. upside is that you can develop your operators as just higher order functions. 
Right. Um, and you don't have to do any monkey patching of like prototypes. Exactly. Exactly. Because actually, I, okay, I see. So this is actually pretty exciting, I think, because we actually ran into this problem when we were using Redux Observable where we wanted to use some operators that were used by some library, but like we had to basically make a pull request upstream or, or fork the upstream library to include the operators so that we could use them in our application. It was really weird, but it, yeah. it all the reason was because it was extending the observable prototype. Yeah, and there's there's so many, and, and that's like one way to add that is you extend the observable prototype and then you override lift so you return the same type of observable everywhere. And there's so many things that lettable operators solved for us. Uh, so for lettable example, operators, that's what so that's what uh, that's the word that Tracy used and you just used it. What what are lettable operators? Well, I mean, I've been trying to say pipeable and get that going instead of lettable, but uh, basically there's an operator uh, on RxJS that's been there forever called let. Mm-hmm. And let is an operator, and what it what you do is you give it a function, and the function gives you the source observable, and you're expected to return a new observable. And the idea is that you can then write a function elsewhere that you can then compose in as though it were an operator anywhere you want, along with your other dot chained operators. And the realization I had a few months ago was, well, why don't we just make all operators like this, and then we can you know, use functional programming to compose them with like a reduce or whatever. And that's that's exactly what the lettable operators are. And that's why I started calling them lettable operators. And I kind of regret it now because so many people are saying it and mm-hmm. it confuses new people because what in the world does lettable even mean? Right. Wow. <laughs> so it's their pipeable operators or functional operators. But the point is that you have a, a higher order function that returns a function of a specific shape. And that function's shape is, it's a function that, receives an observable and returns an observable and that's it so it's uh it basically it's a function that transforms an observable into a new observable that's all an operator is it's all an operator has ever been it's just this is in a kind of a different flavor now i'm curious why does it do an observable into an observable and not a stream item into an observable because when you're actually chaining these things together like with a map or with a, a flat map or all these things you're actually getting an individual item and then returning an observable. Well, I guess in the case of a map, you're getting an item and returning an item, but like, right. But that, that's not, but that's not what the entire operation is, right? So you've got an operation you're performing whenever you say, uh, if you were just to even dot chain it, you'd say observable dot map. Mm-hmm. And when you say dot map, it returns a new observable. And then you say dot filter. Oh, and it gotcha, returns gotcha, another new gotcha. observable. Okay. So yeah, like yeah, this yeah, function yeah. just embodies that step. I see. I see. And isn't there some special, I feel like there's some proposal for some special JavaScript syntax to make this type of chaining. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the pipeline operator. Okay. So that's uh, I don't know. I think that's still at stage one. I don't know that it's, it's got a lot of headway. Um, my sources and friends that are in the TC 39 seem to think that it doesn't have a lot of headway, but um, I, I really think it's important because if you look at like the, the problem is we're in a, we're using a language where the most common use case is you have to build it, get the size as small as possible because you need to send it over the wire to the browser. And understandably, browsers don't want to implement every possible method they could on say array, right? Mm-hmm. Like 
Right. Could, there, there's a proposal in for flat map. You know, they could add zip to array. They could add all sorts of interesting things to array just by itself. And that's why Lodash exists, right? Is because right. The, not everything is on array. And then the, so the, the onus is then put on the community to come up with these solutions. And the community has to build libraries that have these constraints and size. And what stinks about that is then you have, you know, say an older version of Lodash where you'd be like, okay, well, it has 36 different functions in it and I'm only using three of them and I have to ship them all to the browser. Mm-hmm. And that's not what you want. So then we have these other solutions around tree shaking and this and that. And the real thing is what you want is you want to be able to compose things left to right and you want to be able to have these functions that you can use on a particular type in an ad hoc way. And there's been two proposals to try to address this. One was the function bind operator, which mm-hmm. is colon colon. And what that did is it said, uh, you can use this function as a method, as though it were a method on an object. And we'll, we'll make sure that this is, comes from the, the, this inside that function comes from the instance that's on the left hand side of colon colon. Right. That had a bunch of other problems. Like there's some real debate, I guess, on how they would tie that down to a specific type. So that, that kind of fell dead in the water, even though it had made some traction. Uh, and then the pipeline operator is different. And then what it says is, okay, whatever's on the, and what it looks like is a pipe and a greater than right next to each other. And whatever's on the left hand side of that operand gets passed as the, first argument to the function on the right-hand side of that operand. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is for the pipeable operators, instead of having to use a pipe method on observable, you can just say instance of observable pipeline operator and an operator, and then pipeline operator, and then the Rx operator, and pipeline operator, and Rx operator, and so on. And it would just be built in. And the reason I think that JavaScript really needs it is that means that Libraries like Lodash could be written in terms of simple functions and shipped piecemeal to the browser exactly as you need them. And people would just use the pipeline operator to use them instead of having to wrap something in a big object so you could dot chain things together or come up with your own functional pipe thing like uh, RxJS had to. Right. Because um, it seems it happens again and again, right? Lodash, uh, RxJS, jQuery. You just see this this pattern of chaining yeah, which is yeah, uh, it's, people know. people want chaining, people want left to right composition, and mm-hmm. the, it's problematic in a world where you want to shake off as much unused garbage uh, as possible. And the only way to to get dot chaining is by augmenting a prototype, right? Like there's there's all sorts of weird problems that can come up with that. And so like the functional programming approach is is one method, but then people look at it and they say, "Ooh, yuck! I've got to wrap things in a function named pipe." Wouldn't it be nicer if there was just some syntax to do this? And yeah, it right. would be nicer, but mm-hmm. I have less control over that. So right, but the the other alternative is to have like right to left function composition. But right. There's, not, there's yeah. There's not really any. There's not any special syntax for that either. Yeah. Not very readable. Right. Yeah. So you just wrap everything, and like the innermost call is the first one, and then you wrap it in another function, then you wrap that in another function, and so on. Yeah, that's that's not that's not as readable. But, but I will say that like the pipe function itself. Is pretty simple. It's basically a function that takes a rest of arguments that are all functions. Mm-hmm. And so you have this array of functions and you just reduce over it and call them. Uh, well, you return a function. So it's a higher function. You return a function that takes an argument, 
then you reduce over the functions that came in as arguments and you call each one of them with right. whatever the result was from the previous. Like Tracy mentioned in the pre-show, I'm an aspiring student of uh, functional programming. So would this be like kind of like a monoid here where you're mashing all these functions together? Is your empty value? I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't know if it's true or not, but that's my conjecture. Yes, technically it's a monoid because it wouldn't work unless it was a monoid because monoids, I believe the <laughs> the category theory thing for monoid is that uh, monoids can be concatenated because they definitely have an end. Right. So uh, you would not be able to you know, reduce over all those functions and, and build something like that, like that unless it was a monoid. Uh, so yeah, so the fact that it, there's reduction involved is, is a cue that it's a monoid. Woohoo! All right. <laughs> <laughs> Have you found that, uh, you know, yourself wanting to apply some of these kind of more like, you know, quote unquote rigorous formalisms that you find out there in the development of RxJS or is, or is that just kind of really a secondary concern? It, it's a secondary concern. It's not something I like. It's something I think about from time to time when, you know, really debating any kind of heavy issue. Sometimes it's helpful. Uh, but when it comes to teaching anybody anything, um, honestly, the like Haskellisms and category theory names, all they do is just confuse people. Uh, I mm -hmm. mean, if you tell somebody something is a functor, they're like, what? And if you just say it's mappable, <laughs> they're like, oh, OK, I can map that. You know, like it's right. Right. It, it's and then, you know, the purists will be like, but they're not the same thing. And I'll be like, but the world doesn't care. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of experiencing this debate myself. Like, I'm not quite sure which side I fall on because, on the one hand, I'm like, it is arbitrary. Like, the, you know, the, the functor is a, a weird name. Like, but I wish, like, the concept of mappable, like, existed. Like, I mean, it does, but I feel like it would be handy if people, if, because there's like literally like five things that are super handy, right? Like mappable, if we could have like a name for monoid, like, if, but like that, it's like really you just need to think in terms of these five constructs for like 99% of the stuff that you do. And so I always wonder where does that line lie and like how, you know, mappable is, is that really more accessible than like functor? Like, or is that only because like I was exposed to the concept of mapping for like 10 years before I ever heard like the F word? Uh, yes. And yes. I mean, it's, that's <laughs> the thing, things that are more accessible are usually more accessible because of some pre, like pre given knowledge, right? Like, you know, what works in JavaScript probably isn't going to work in Haskell or Scala or something, right? Mm -hmm. Like if mm -hmm. someone's a Java developer, like certain idioms might not make sense to them that come from the JavaScript world. Right. But if I was like learning like a student, you know, I would think mappable, I'd be thinking like, I would literally be thinking like, like Google Maps or, or something like that. I don't know. I, right, right. I, I mean, like, like C sharp, like C sharp, the, the uh, mapping function is always going to be called select, right? Because that's uh -huh. C sharp, just that's their idiom for the same thing. So for select? Yeah. Really? Yeah, select. So they'll, they'll, huh. that's, which like that's in Ruby the, is like find. Yeah, there's select, and then what's the other one? Select many or something uh -huh. like that. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, yeah, there's, so that's 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 C sharp. Well, oh, like and it's like select kind of, from uh, from SQL. Yeah, okay. I think I think that's kind of where it came from because people had link, and then they had link mm -hmm. to SQL, and then they're like, well, I want to do this with regular, um, with like regular code with just using mm -hmm. some uh, more like less nuanced expressions. So I want to be able to just do method calls and, and chain those together. And so you end up with like select 
functions. And I, I think that that exists even in rx.net, although I haven't used rx.net. So. Hmm. Okay. So I know you do a lot of training with rx. What are some of the concepts that people struggle with initially? I think when we're teaching RX workshop, a lot of the people sort of, and I'll even see senior level people sort of struggle with explaining it is Mm -hmm. the difference between observables and observers, and then sort of wrapping their head around the idea that, hey, observables are just functions in JavaScript. So they're always thinking like observables are going to do something for you. I mean, actually, it's not just in Angular, but it's also in React. But, you know, whenever someone's having issues with their Rx applications, it's usually something that, you know, they're like nesting observables or, you know, they're not subscribing to something or, you know, they've sort of hot messed themselves into a tangle. And Ben, I'm sure you've debugged a bunch of this stuff before. I mean, the first thing I always ask people is like, have you subscribed? Or maybe they're using... In Angular, they're, they're using pipes async, but they're also calling dot subscribe on their observable. Yeah, so they're like in Angular, they'll they'll do both. Yeah, yeah. there's there's that. I, I think that yeah, I mean that kind of relates to the the problem of people not understanding that observables are really just functions. I, I keep saying that over and over again, and people really don't seem to take it to heart for whatever reason. But <laughs> uh, you get an observable, and when you're chaining all those operators together, you're gonna you, you're making another observable or whatever. Observables don't do anything until you subscribe to them. They do nothing. Shouldn't uh, they be called like subscribable? Yes, they probably <laughs> should. Uh, but we do hand them an observer, so mm-hmm. you're observing something. But the, the point being is so, that they don't they don't do anything at all until you subscribe to them. And in that regard, they're like functions, where functions don't do anything unless you call them. So what ends up happening with an observable is you subscribe to it, you give it an observer or three callbacks, which it then coerces into an observer. And it takes that observer and it hands it to the body of this observable definition and li- literally hands an observer inside of there. And then you basically execute that function synchronously and do things, whatever those things are, to uh, set up some sort of observation. Maybe you spin up a WebSocket and, and tie into some events on it and, mm-hmm. and call next on the observer to get values out of your observable. The point being that if you subscribe to an observable twice, it's the same thing as calling a function twice. And for some reason, people have a hard time with that. They think, if I subscribe to the observable twice, I've only called the function once. I experienced this confusion. And I remember the first time that that, like, like I was playing with observables. And the first time I actually discovered that, that it was actually calling my, what's, now what do you call the function that you pass to the constructor that actually, like, does it, like, you know, that, that calls next or that gets past the, uh, I I like to call it like an initialization function or something, but it, it's the official name from the TC39 proposal is subscriber function. Subscriber function. So like, yeah. I definitely remember it was like a one of those like <laughs> mind blowing moments when I realized when I called my subscribe method, the entire observable got run from the very beginning. But like my intuition was that this is an object. It's got like some shared state like it's it's this quasar that i'm now observing and i'm seeing the flashes of light coming off of it but it's still the same object like you think of it as having yeah not as a function okay i can no one ever described it to me as just a function but i think i can see it now yeah me neither. but but yeah you think of it as as, as uh, in the same way that most people think of like objects uh of like i have this object i have a reference to it you know let observable equal new observable uh, it's a single thing. It's a single identity. And so that's the thing that I'm observing. It's not that 
I'm invoking this observable to observe things. And I think that's, yeah, that's, that's a, that's, that's a, 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 a subtle nuance there. I wish I had uh, taken y'all's course, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I've, I mean, I've done a few talks on it. Like I always try to tell people it's just a function. It's just a function. Yeah. I think what happens to a lot of people too is, well, there's, there's the fact it's, it's an object, but I think what it is is people's familiarity with promises does this. Mm-hmm. Uh, because promises are always multicast. They are always, uh, quote unquote, hot. And the reason for this is because they're eager. So by the time you have a promise, whatever is producing values to the promise has already started. Uh, and that means that they're inherently multicast. And, and right. uh, so people are used to that behavior of, I can then offer this promise, and it always means one thing. And it's like, yeah, because the one thing has nothing to do with the promise. It wasn't <laughs> like it's right. this promise is just like an interface for you to view with something that happened in, in the past. So where an observable is more low level than that and, and more simple than that, it, it just states like, you know, I'm a function that you call. I'm going to be able to do anything a function can do. And by the way, you give me an observer and I'm going to do some stuff with that, too, and, and notify you um, via this observer that you've handed me. I mean, because of that, you could take an observable and close over something that had already started. Like say you had a web socket that was already running. You could create a new observable and, and just like any function, close over that externally created web socket. And then everyone that subscribes to that observable is tying an observer to that same web socket. Then you're multicast. Then you're, then you're quote unquote hot. Right. So I was going to say that's the, the distinction that Jay was talking about when, and we was talking about, you know, we we're going to just talk about, he said at the very beginning, we're just going to talk about hot observables. Yep. But even a hot observable is still, you know, theoretically evaluating every single time you subscribe, you're getting a new observable. You're, you're evaluating that observable afresh each time. It's just so happens that what, like in the lexical scope of that observable subscriber function, there is this WebSocket. Yeah. So it's, it's the same thing. Imagine you wrote a function that when you called it, created a new WebSocket and then yeah, like say, let's say you wrote a new function that you gave an observer object to, right? Observer object says next error and complete. And in that function, when you called it, it created a new WebSocket, and then it tied uh, the on message and on close and whatever to your observer's on next or your observer's next method and your observer's error method mm-hmm. message and so on. When you call that function, you would expect a new WebSocket to be created every single time. Now, let's just say alternately, you create a WebSocket and then you write a new function that that function closes over that WebSocket. So you reference the WebSocket that you externally created inside of your function. When you call that function, it's not going to create a new WebSocket every time. It's just closing over it, right? Mm-hmm. So even though they both are b- basically doing the same thing, the, now the latter one of those two things is basically a hot observable, and the former is a cold observable. Because one is multicast, which is I'm sharing this one WebSocket with everybody. And the other one is unicast, which is, I am going to create a new WebSocket for each person that calls me. So right. that's that's. But the, really, it's just a matter of scope. Yeah, it's a, it, the thing people have a hard time with with observables is not realizing that they're actually just functions. Yeah, I just think that uh, you know maybe like so when I hear things like multicast and unicast, that makes me think of shared state, uh, or that they're being like. Whereas when you say like it's just a matter of scope, well, then I'm thinking more in terms of it being just a function, right? It just happens that this. Well, Shared, was already shared state is a matter of scope, right? Yes, it is. It is. But so, sorry, shared state associated with like some object identity. 
right? Like, right. But again, again, it's just preconceptions, really. Um, it's just me thinking that like I've had to manage lists of listeners and have like multicast observers and single cast observers and like having to manage those lists and call notify on all of them. And that's really not what's happening at all. Yeah. Well, I guess the the real point is observables can have shared state or they could not have shared state. I think the most common uh, version and the most the most composable version of them does not do they do not have any shared state. It's just one of those things where, you know, just like a function can have shared state or it could be pure, right? Like there's, there's nothing wrong with either one of those two uses of a function and there's nothing wrong with either one of those two uses of observable. So that's a better, uh, the honest to God, that is the, the biggest stumbling block. I think that I see people have that in like, if I had to characterize it, I would say fear and loathing over the number of operators. Like people are like, and they, they like, they really think because everyone's used to dealing with these frameworks where there's like, an idiomatic way to do everything. They think there's going to be an RxJS idiomatic way to do things. And that's just patently false. It's like saying there's an idi- idiomatic way to use functions. Like there's not. Use it however it works, the end. Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. not, you don't have to use every operator in a specific <laughs> way. You can use it however it works for you and it's fine. I see that you guys were doing some fantastic work with your documentation. Was that part of like RxJS 2.0 docs? I was trying to inspire people to take on the docs initiative because I think when I was starting to learn RxJS, I would get really frustrated with the docs. Yeah. I think the docs are greatly documented, but at the same time, if you're not a senior developer who understands Rx already, mm-hmm. then it's it's not really helpful because it provides more of you know, a reference point, right. That the guys can like go back and look at mm-hmm. or girls. So anyways, after many attempts of trying to get somebody to lead the project, I just decided to lead the project myself mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and try to get uh, the communities interesting because I think because the docs can be sometimes confusing, uh, you know, Brian Tronconi created learn rxjs.io you know, there's these other sort of visualization projects like rx marbles, rx fizz, et cetera. And we just needed to stick everybody together. So it's been a project that I think has been going on for the past two months or so. We have, I mean, it's just an Angular app. So it's probably one of the most easiest projects to contribute to. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I tried to contribute to the Ember Docs, it literally took me an hour to sit there with a learning team, Ember learning team member. And actually, maybe it was two hours just to figure out how the heck, like all the things I had to download to get my environment set up so that I could actually even contribute to the darn documentation. Mm. But with the ARCs, the current ArcsJS docs right now, it's just an Angular app. You can pull it down. It's really easy. I mean, we even have people who are just, you know, working on accessibility, which is super cool, right? So it's a very friendly place for beginners. I'm super pleased with all the people that have been working on that. Uh, like uh, Brian and and everybody. Especially on the accessibility front, like Jen Luker kind of came in and like voluntarily, she's like the stopgap for all accessibility to make sure everything's accessible before we release. So that's pretty yeah. exciting. Mm-hmm. So funny because when me and Jen started talking, she was talking about something and then I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited about the docs. She's like, I'm so excited too, but I don't really know why I'm excited, but you're excited. So I'm excited. Why are you excited? I was like, I don't know, but I'm excited too. And then all of a sudden we have accessibility. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw some amazing screenshots. Have has the new docs have they been pushed up to the URL yet? 
Nah, they are about to. We were mm. we want to do one more accessibility run through before we uh-huh. publish it, and then we're gonna document. We want to document sort of like the top fifteen most viewed operators. Um, but we should probably see that in the next uh, two weeks or so that the new docs will be. I mean, it'll say beta, beta, beta all over everything. But actually, also um, some of our friends. Dimitri from Valor Software, he is working on the translation portion to make it really easy for people to translate the docs. Ah. So a lot of that came from the inspiration from the uh, the Vue.js docs. We're taking the versioning um, examples that Ember has done for their docs as sort of inspiration to make sure that our versioning is really great. So it's great that we can lend a, lend upon all the other amazing ideas in the industry. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. fantastic. I'm I can't wait to see them. Yeah, me neither. The screenshots look amazing. I was like, wow, these these are some fabulous documentation that's going to be coming out. Can't wait. Yeah, thank you. Setting the bar really high. <laughs> I actually I'm curious because observables are so low level, is there some use of them that like what what's the use of them that you found kind of the most uh, surprising? Or kind of, you know, whoa, this was a crazy hack. Um, I mean, the weirdest use of observables, I don't know, There's there's been quite a few kind of odd ones. One of the ones that I did one time that isn't even RxJS's wheelhouse, it was just that RxJS already existed, so I didn't want to pull in another transducer library, was using RxJS as a transducer. Basically, we uh, at Netflix, we had a, a situation where we had these huge, huge arrays of very, very large objects. And if you try to take something like that and then map it and then filter it and then map it and then filter it, we're using array map and filter. What ends up happening is you create all sorts of intermediary arrays in memory. And then garbage collection has to come through and clean that up. And that locks your thread. And over time, we were experiencing slowness with this app. And it would just build up until eventually it kind of ground to a halt. and I used RxJS because it was an available tool there to wrap these arrays in an observable and then perform operations on them step by step, the same map filter and so on. Uh, but when you do that, it doesn't create intermediary arrays because it, it passes each value along step to step instead of producing an entire array and then doing another step mm-hmm. and producing an entire array and so on. So, uh, so it, you just save garbage collection and it and it increase the performance of the app. That's just in an extreme case. I would never do that with just regular arrays of anything. It was because it was a huge, huge arrays of very large objects. So you would create an observable out of the array and then just feed each element into the observable one one at a time. Uh, well, no. I mean, if you say if you say observable from and you give it an array. Right. Uh, that's basically what it does. Is it's, is okay. it, loop, it loops over the array and nexts those values out of the array synchronously. I see. I so see. It's, it's kind of like having a for loop and then inside of that for loop saying, you know, apply the map, apply the filter, apply the, you know, whatever to each value as they're, as they're going through. But when you look at it, if you had array map filter reduce, it's literally just taking the first step and saying observable from and wrapping that array and then the rest of it's still the same. Right. Yeah, no, that that's that's really cool. That was a weird weirder use of it. I've heard tell of other things where people used observables to do audio synchronization, which is is pretty interesting because you have to be very precise with audio synchronization. So hooking into some of the web audio APIs and that sort of thing that that's pretty interesting. Uh, the WebSocket multiplexing is something I did at Netflix. That's 
it's a little bit avant-garde for observable use because you're you essentially have an observable that is your WebSocket, and then you create another observable that kind of closes over that observable and sends messages over the WebSocket for what you're subscribed to and not subscribed to, uh, and it enables you to very easily like retry connections and these sorts of things. I did a whole talk on that. It's it's that one's pretty weird. Yeah, but I mean, the man, general use case is like you click a button, you you make a, an Ajax request and then you get that back and maybe you make another Ajax request or like drag and drop and these these sorts of things where you're coordinating multiple events together is the general use case, the, the non-weird you know weird use case for RxJS. Tracy does weird stuff with RxJS though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's some, weird, what's some weird uses of RxJS? I think my favorite thing to do right now is to figure out how many different IoT-related things I can make work with RxJS. So how many random things can I connect to an application using that? So Shit, Tracy's projects are the best. They're so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Ben and I created an application where you can like take pictures of things using the, um, the Google Image API. And, um, you know, it'll spit back a, a set of puns for you. So you take a picture of banana, it'll give you banana puns. Um, or you can talk to it using the, um, the speech recognition API. My latest thing is I really want to figure out how to, I can't, I haven't figured out if Bluetooth low energy is actually enabled on Google home minis, but I want to get my Google home mini to say booty. <laughs> Don't know why. <laughs> RxJS to the rescue. <laughs> oh, oh, there is, uh, you remember NG Cruise? We did NG Cruise and on there, Alex Castillo brought, um, oh, that was so cool. All sorts of interesting, like you could read your brain waves or there was another one that was, uh, what is the Microsoft, um, that band you put around your wrist that would, it would sense what direction your arm was in and whether or not your, uh, hand was flexed. Yeah. And so you could people, like flip through things. Yeah. And people were using, uh, reactive programming with that to do things like, grab a ball on the screen or um, you could concentrate on an image and see if it went blurry or not. Wow. Um, so like minority report. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like literally watching, Sweet. watching a machine read your mind uh, with observables. Wow. That was, that was pretty cool. That's, that's gotta be the weirdest. Yeah. Or like uh, we had somebody play the piano while they were wearing one of the, the brainwave it's called the open BCI project is what it is. And what you can do is you can actually get the instructions to 3d print out your own headset and then buy the technology that allows you to read your read brainwaves. And so with that, it's like, I mean, it was really awesome to watch her play the piano and, and just see how her brainwaves were going super crazy. But there's also these really cool, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of jewel bots, but there are these programmable friendship bracelets that are just little Arduino devices that oh, light up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have two of them. I haven't even opened them. <laughs> I've been waiting to play with them with you. Like, I don't know what we're going to do, but I just want to send you like, you know, lights, flashing lights. <laughs> <laughs> Morse code, ask you questions about RxJS while you're working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A critical bug. <laughs> RxJS Justice League. Really Assemble. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really fun. I actually really want to do that, but I'm sure the uh, the next time we talk, you will have. <laughs> 
Yes, 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 yes. I know. I know. We'll do it soon. We just need to find some time while we're not going crazy with conferences and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So before we head out, uh, is there any upcoming events, talks, releases, anything that we ought to be, uh, we or, or the listeners ought to be aware of? Yeah, so one of the things is that Ben and I this weekend actually just recorded the latest version of RX Workshop. So if you want to learn all about the latest, latest, newest, new, um, you can go ahead and take that course. We go through a lot of different things like uh, multiplex web sockets, building an application, um, everywhere from the fundamentals to sort of the more real-world implementations of RxJS. Yeah, even even in the fundamentals area, um, we've we've had uh, friends of of ours that are, that are definitely seasoned RX veterans come to the workshop, and most of them ask the most questions while talking about the fundamentals because I tend to dig into either deep into the internals or into the whys and and hows thing, uh, like why why and how things work, uh, even when it comes to like how to subscribe to an observable, like deep detailed information about. Uh, you know, what happens if you don't provide an error handler in certain cases and how that's going to change in upcoming versions and why that's changing in upcoming versions and what the TC39's thoughts are on that and so on and so forth. So, you know, I try to get into some deeper stuff and we have a lot of fun and we we tend to be, I think, a little goofier at the workshops from time to time than we were in, in this podcast. Tracy and I get silly when we're together, but... It's very true. That's... <laughs> But I think also, um, you know, soon I think there are people that are going to be championing an observable proposal in WhatWig, right? So aside from the TC39 observable proposal that's currently still at stage one, um, I don't know if Ben, you want to talk about a little bit about that. Oh yeah, so I've I've been involved um, uh, in conversations with folks from Netflix and Google as well. Uh, Chrome team and uh, TC39 members uh, about getting the uh, WHATWG, the WhatWig. Uh, they're a standards body similar to the W3C to include observables as part of the DOM. Uh, the post has not been made yet, but there's the, the post is going to be made soon as long as everybody's okay with it. Uh, and what it boils down to is the idea of using observables as part of event target. Uh, event target is the API we're all familiar with for add event listener, remove event listener. So pretty much anywhere you'd see those methods, there might also someday be an on method that would return an observable of events. So that that's it's a really, really interesting thing because it would bring at least the primitives of reactive programming to the browser. And at the very least, it would provide maybe a nicer API for people to subscribe to events coming from different DOM elements because add event listener and remove event listener are a little unergonomic at times, right? Yeah, none so, of the worst. Yeah, that's a very polite way of putting it. <laughs> so that's that's one thing that's coming down the pipe. Uh, other things, uh, RxJS six is in the works. Uh, we recently tied off five point five in a stable branch, and master is now our alpha that we're that we're working on. So there's going to be a lot of refactoring and changes there, trying to make the library smaller and smaller, and trying to eliminate some of the foot guns that maybe people had in previous versions. So moving things around so people aren't importing stuff that were meant to be implementation details, you know, reducing the size of the library, trying to eliminate some bloat, uh, that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. But that's it's going to be an alpha ongoing for a while, and then hopefully we'll be able to move into beta, you know, mid 
uh, first quarter next year. And then when that'll be out of beta, who knows? It all depends on how well people like the beta and the alpha, right? All right. Well, so if uh, if folks do want to follow up with y'all, either in regards to the course or to upcoming releases uh, or any of the other great stuff that's coming along, how would they get in touch with y'all? You can find me on Twitter at Lady Leet. But Ben is at Ben Lesh. RX Workshop is rxworkshop.com. I think in January we're going to be doing state of JavaScript under this dot media again. So that's where all the core contributors of different frameworks and libraries come together. So we'll definitely be giving a state of RxJS at that time. And next year also contributor days will be happening. So if you go to contributordays.com, you can see the previous RxJS contributor days and figure out how to get involved. So we're always open and happy and willing to teach everybody. And um, again, if you want to get involved, it doesn't matter whether you have, you know, little experience or lots of experience. We are always willing to show you how you can play. Yeah, you can always find us on Twitter. And just don't forget that if you don't find uh, Tracy or I on Twitter, you can always message Jay Phelps on Twitter. That's that's important. Jay underscore Jay Phelps. Really? (laughs) He'll he'll find us. (laughs) (laughs) look for jay in the show notes (laughs) all right well thank you so much for all the stuff that y'all do code and otherwise and um thank you so much ben thank you so much tracy for coming on the show yeah thank you bye elric and bye everybody um if you want to reach out to us you can always get in touch with us at at the front side uh or send us an email at contact at frontside.io all right everybody we'll see you next week 